Can you see it? Uh, we are on the, new, uh, on the edge of a new year and a new decade, and what better time to think about, to evaluate, and uh, refocus on the things uh, that matter. We're really glad that you're here. I'm Pastor Tim, the lead pastor here at Grace, and we are finishing up this series, uh, 2020, uh, looking at life with Jesus in community uh, for the world. And uh, before we get into that, uh, talking about the world and loving the world and serving the world, I want to tell you a story about Richard. Uh, Richard is uh, the average, typical, normal, uh, everyday owner at Grace Fellowship who attends regularly. He uh, gives generously. He connects uh, with those around him. Uh, but one day, I think it was about last year, he realized he had a little time on his hands and he just wanted to help. And so he asked the question, how can I help? Uh, and so uh, during the week, uh, Richard comes in almost every week and he just shows up and helps out. Most of the time, uh, he does the same things every week. And sometimes if he has a little extra time that week, he takes on some different things because they just, they just need to be done. And it's really fun to see Richard every week show up and uh, along with Megan and Bonnie and several other people uh, that just do this every week. They, they answer the question, what can I do uh, to help? I just, I just want to help. And I, uh, the fact is we could use more Richards around here. Um, so if you've ever asked that question or thought about that question, or if that question has never uh, occurred to you, well, it's occurring to you now. Um, because uh, we, uh, this past week, the staff put together 20 things in 2020 uh, that uh, people can do to help. If you're asking the question, uh, what can I do to help? Or you're just saying, I just want to help. Some of them are weekly things. Some of them are monthly things. Uh, things like, uh, and, and here's the 20 things, write them down. Stock the green room, go shopping for supplies, fill the humidifier for the auditorium, deep clean the nursery once a month, set up the family room, put supplies together for Grace Kids, make copies, set, uh, help set the stage for, for the weekend, organize and reorganize classrooms, fill seat backs, cut bulletins, send out emails, stuff envelopes, create media slides, refill copies, are you getting all this? Restock gluten-free communion, empty trash, vacuum office area, dust Pastor Tim's office because Rhonda says he lives like a pig, wipe down walls and clean off tables. So if you didn't get any of those, uh, and there's many other things that you can do, do, but you have a card that looks like this in your seat back that just says, I want to help. And so we have a value here that says save people, serve people. And so if during the week, uh, we have tons of volunteers on a Sunday morning, and we couldn't do this without you, uh, but there's a lot of things during the week that we couldn't do without you as well. And so if you have an hour, half an hour, whatever, uh, and you just want to help, put your name on this card, put it in the offering basket at the end of the service, and we will, uh, I'll give you the list of these 20 things and just see what uh, you want to do to help. So... Uh, we are talking about refocusing on the things that matter. We're looking at John chapter 4 uh, this morning, and we're doing this by answering the question, the most common question. Jesus posed over 300 questions in his ministry. This one we find uh, over 10 times in the gospel. The first time we find it is in John 1, where Jesus turned to some would-be followers and asked the question, what do you want? What, what, what do you want? Friends, at the core of who you are is what you want. Uh, and in our most serious moments, I think we would all admit, we want our lives to matter. We want to matter in life. We want to give our lives to what matters most. And so we've been looking at, in this series, Life with Jesus, uh, last week in community, and this week uh, for the world. First uh, John chapter 4, I'm not going to put it on the screen, but if you have a Bible and you want to follow along, if you have your app, uh, bring that up. Uh, we're going to start with verse 7. I just want you to 
excuse me, listen to these words and allow these words to kind of flow over you and seep inside of you. And then we're going to talk about what it means uh, to love the world around you. So would you stand with me? I'm going to read verses 7 through 12 in 1 John 4. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. You may be seated. I'm going to put the last verse of that passage on the screen. And I want all of us uh, to read this out loud together. Here we go. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. What? do you want? What do you want? I think most of us want to be loved, and I believe that more than that, most of us want to love. Uh, We want to love better. We want to love well. We want to be a person of love. I don't think you'd be here in church on a Sunday morning when it's so cold outside, but you're seeking in some level, at some level in your life, the Jesus life, or at least you're just checking out what the possibility might be for you. And maybe uh, you haven't really thought about this, but I just believe in your most honest moments, for most of us, because we are human beings created for this, you realize your need for love, but more than that, you realize your need to love better in the world around you. Just think about your last week, or maybe just think about yesterday, or just this morning. How have you failed at love? Uh, With whom have you failed to love well? Friends, Jesus offered us the abundant life, and the abundant life is a life of love. Life is lacking when love is missing, and followers of Jesus uh, have what John said, love being perfected in them. To be a follower of Jesus is to grow more and more in this capacity and in this character of love. Now, we know the world has a lot to say about this. You don't have to be a Jesus follower uh, to love people, but a lot of what the world says about love is, is just simply wrong or misplaced at best, certainly misunderstood and misapplied. Uh, the Greek language in which much of the New Testament was written uses three main words to describe the various types of love we experience. Some of you are familiar with these words. The first one is eros, from which we get the word erotic. Uh, it, it, is, it is a sexual, physical dimension of love. This is the kind of love that the world uh, uh, knows most. This is what we most find in our movies that we watch or the music that we listen to. It's not completely sexual because at, at the core of eros is desire. Eros denotes desire. It defines love as something that you want, something that you want to consume. Uh, it's something to fulfill a desire in your life. For, for instance, I, I love dark chocolate Milky Ways. I love uh, white chocolate 
mochas uh, from Starbucks. I love frozen coffee mochas from Dunkin'. I love molten chocolate cake from Grand Lux. I, you see a pattern here? Uh, what, what am I saying to you? I'm saying I want to consume it. When I say I love dark chocolate, I don't, this is not just a passing uh, sentiment. I desire it, and I desire a lot of it, and I consume a lot of it, which is to say, this is what, this is what love uh, is uh, about, the, the essence of eros in the world. I like it, I love it, I got to have it. Thank you, Coldstone. Okay? I need you, I want you, I can't live without you. That's all fine and good, but friends, eros is all take. The essence of Eros is self-motivated and self-centered. Let's be honest, friends. A teenage boy telling his girlfriend, let me show you how much I love you. Friends, that is not a statement of demonstration. That is a statement of consumption. And usually people who have been consumed in that way feel very used when it's all over. Now, that is not to say uh, that eros is destructive. Uh, when you combine it with the other two loves that I'm going to talk about, I mean, a covenantal love uh, between two couples who uh, truly committed to love each other mutually uh, can also uh, experience a mutual kind of eros love in their relationship. But when it's only eros, when it's only take, there is, there is no relationship. It's all about self. So that's the first word. The second word is phileo. We're, uh, we're Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. This is the love of friendship. I like you. You like me. We like the same things. And so phileo is the give and take of relationship. I help you. You help me. We enjoy helping each other. Last week, we talked about spiritual friendship between David and Jonathan. And we saw in David and Jonathan, they saw something in each other. They realized we're fighting for the same thing. Let's fight together. Let's, let's do this thing together. Let's, let's help each other. And friends, we all need, every one of us needs a phileo relationship that calls something better out of us, that calls us to a greater uh, reality in our lives, uh, something that uh, you can, can uh, be reciprocal. You can help them. They can help you become the person that God has called you to be. And then this third word is agape. Uh, and God, it's a deep and difficult word to explain, but in its truest essence, Agape is a love that expects nothing in return. In its truest form, agape is loving, expecting nothing in return. I just love you for you. I just love. I just love you. I don't love you for anything I can get from you. I don't love you for what I want in return. I don't love you because there's a certain condition in your life or expectation in your life. My love for you is based on my willingness to love you, not based on your worthiness to be loved by me. Now, a wife will ask her husband, why do you love me? Why, why do you love me? And men, I just want to tell you, if you get that answer wrong... All sorts of wrong will happen in that, in that relationship. Uh, the only way that you can answer that question is, I just do. I just do. I, I love you. I'm committed to loving you. I've promised to love you. I, I love you based on my willingness to love you, not on your worthiness to be loved. Because here's the deal, friends, and we've, we've all done this. You know, I love you because you're beautiful. Well, now she thinks, what happens when my beauty fades? I love you because you're so funny. Well, sometimes you're not funny. I just, I just, I just love you. Okay, so uh, 
here, here, the only appropriate agape reason is I just love you for you. I love you with no conditions. I love you with no expectations. I love you expecting nothing in return. I love you willingly. I choose to love you, which is then in the essence of agape in its truest form is all give. It's all giving. It's what the Bible would call a covenantal love. In marriage, you are committed to give, not to, not to take. Now, when there's a mutual covenant, then you have this reciprocal kind of, of relationship. But agape, when it says God is love, when God is agape, think about this. God, God loving you has, has more to do, has everything to do with God and nothing to do about you. God just, God just loves you. And, and here's the thing. God is not, love is not what God does. Love is what, is who God is. First John chapter 4, God is love. It's not what he does, it's who he is. He loves because he cannot not love you. Which means even when you are unlovable, even when you don't love him back, regardless of the reasons that would make you unworthy of love, you are still loved because the kind, this kind of love isn't dependent on the one loved. It's rooted in the one who loves. Are you becoming a person of love? Are you a person of love regardless of the person you're loving? Your love is about you loving someone else, not about the someone else that you're loving. Do you understand what I'm saying? One definition of love I found was really good. I'll put it on the screen. The decision and discipline of the heart to delight, to delight in the soul of another human being as an image bearer of God and to use their good and to will, to will their good ahead of your own, no matter the cost to yourself. The decision and discipline of your heart to delight in the soul of another human being, to take joy in another human being simply because they reflect the person of God, and to will their good, to want what is best for them ahead of your own, no matter the cost to you. Here's your fill-in in the outline. The passion to do what's best for another. You want to love another person? Just, just will the best, the passion to do what's best for them. Without condition or exception, without expectation, regardless of the cost to yourself, to will the good of another ahead of your own. Now, there's all kinds of loving relationships in the world, but I don't think that there's any better relationship, a human relationship, that demonstrates this kind of love more than a parental love. More than, now, none of us as parents are perfect in our love, uh, are selfless in our love, but parents, would, would you not agree? Have you not said to yourself, I, I love these children? Sometimes they don't love me back, but I can't not love these children. <laughs> Sometimes they do things that are unworthy of love, but I can't not love these children. Sometimes they're unworthy, but I can't stop loving these children, even when they disappoint me or frustrate me, even when they sadden me and break my heart. I cannot not love them. I want the very best for them, even at great cost to myself. I will give my life to these children. And seriously, think about this. Is there, is there anyone on the planet more selfish than a child? You know, our goal as parents is to help grow them out of that selfishness. But in all reality, no one is more consumed with their own needs than a, than a child. And no one is less concerned about the cost to you. They are the most selfish people on the planet. They're, it's fortunate that God made them cute. Otherwise, this would be really difficult. But you understand what I'm saying, right? This is what it means to follow Jesus. 
who loved us in our most unlovely state, who did for us what we could not do for ourselves at great cost to himself. And the essence of that love, friends, when we live in that love, when we embrace that love, when we understand that love for us, it sets us free from the prison of our own ego, our own egocentricity, and the destructive desires of our lives to become the person that Jesus is, to become like the person Jesus is, to become a person of love, not just something that we do, but, but it, it becomes who we are. To follow Jesus, to become a person of love, who loves on the basis of who we are, not on the basis of the person that we're loving. What does this mean? It means in its truest form, love is what, what wants what's best for you regardless of the cost to me. So here's, here's the point that I'm trying to make this morning. Uh, it, you look at your world. And friends, the bottom line is, this is the gospel. You can love anyone. There's no one in this world that you cannot love. I, I, I can love anyone. Say that with me. I can love anyone. Say it again like you believe it. I can love anyone. Some of you are thinking, no, I can't. No, and you're thinking of the person that you can't. And I just want to say again, Jesus is a person of love. And to become a person of love is to love based on who you are, not based on who they are. If love is dependent on you and your choice choice to do what's best for them, regardless of the cost to you, then you can love anyone. You can love anyone. The Bible tells us that God is love, that God loved the world, John 3, 16. But for you and me, loving, loving the world is too big and it's too easy for us. It's too broad and it's too general and there's no way for us to be accountable to loving the world. Charlie Brown, remember him? He said a long time ago, I love the world. It's people I can't stand. And I kind of resonate that, with that. Uh, until it gets personal, it's not real. So this morning, I want us to narrow down. We're, we're called to love the world, but I want you to narrow your world to the people in your world. And I want you to be answering this question as I continue to talk. Who, is, who in your world is God calling you to love? Who in your world is God calling you to love? Now, for some of you, that name popped up automatically because of a relational issue or a particular need you have uh, with that person. But maybe not. Maybe you need to be asking God to reveal someone in your life that you need to love better that you need to love well, with whom you need to become a person of love. So the challenge, uh, the challenge is not just to love anyone or just to love the world, but to love that someone in your world that needs to be loved. In the Bible, there are three general categories of people to love. Uh, and God has put in your world all three of these categories and probably a name with each of these categories. The first one is your brother. Your brother, first, uh, excuse me, John 13, a new commandment I give you that you love one another. The community of believers is marked by people of love, loving people. Jesus said the world would recognize us as Jesus followers, not because of what we believed, but because of how we loved. Okay? Now, you, you already know this. Easier said than done, right? You would think that other Jesus followers would be the easiest people in the world to love. And yet sometimes they can be the most challenging people to love. We fail at loving each other all the time. The principle is awesome and the practice is fine as long as these people are perfect. But let, let's, revisit, let's revisit that verse at the end of that passage that we read. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us. Notice what it does not say. It does not say that you are being perfected. 
it says that his love is being perfected. His, it doesn't say that you are perfect. It means that as lo- when you are living in the love of God, that love, if you are embracing the love of God for you, that love is continuing to be perfected more and more in your life. In other words, the more you are able to let God love you, the more you are able to love others. Perfect love has nothing to do with people being perfect. Why is it so hard to love people in community? Well, this would apply to any, any of these categories, but, but could it be? And I'm just throwing this out here for you to consider. You don't have to agree with me. You have every right to be wrong. But could it be <laughs> that we place, could it be that we place expectations on other human beings that they couldn't possibly live up to? We want them to be perfect, and when they are not, we write them off. And we fail. We fail at loving them. Jesus says when you love without condition or expectation, you can love anyone, even your imperfect brother. Totally totally forgetting that you're imperfect. I don't know why we never think of that, but we're always looking to the other person to be worthy of our love. But friends, you are the one loving, and love is dependent on your decision to love, not on the worthiness of others Uh, to be loved. Who is God calling you to love better or to love well in your world of brothers and sisters? I said brothers. You know, I can't exempt the sisters. You're, You're just as bad as we are, okay? So who is God calling you to love better, to love well in your community? Here's the second category. Jesus says to love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Neighbors are people that you know, and neighbors are people that you don't know. Jesus said that anyone in need in your world is your neighbor. Matthew 25, he said, if you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. Jesus is our neighbor who loved us as a neighbor. And you have neighbors all around you in need of love without condition or expectation. Uh, and sometimes, now here's the challenge. Uh, and again, this, this could apply to any category. But uh, to love the person, to love a person, to be a person of love is to will the best for that person regardless of the cost to you. Love is the passion to do what's best for another person. Now, here, the, the problem is that sometimes it doesn't feel loving to the person loved. When you are willing the best for another human being, sometimes that best is difficult to receive. Again, parents, am I right? You have never, you have never been accused more of not loving well than by those you have loved most, right? (laughs) Such children. (laughs) To speak truth compassionately to those children, to confront their wrongdoing and set the boundaries necessary for their well-being, to set the consequences that help them learn to grow out of their selfishness, to do what's best for them regardless, and it is so costly to you, is it not? Is it not painful, parents, to love in a way where where your children accuse you of not loving well? And so sometimes the cost to you is pretty, is pretty hurtful. But when it, com- when it comes to a neighbor, a person in need, who is God calling you to love better? Or who is, you, who is God calling you to love well? If, and so if you can, you know, loving your brothers, uh, we, can, we can 
you know, do okay with that. Loving your neighbor, it's easy to love someone you don't know because you don't have history with them. And so, but don't get arrogant because this, this third category, Jesus calls you to love your enemies. Your enemies. Who's your enemy? Don't shout out their name. Your enemy basically is anyone in your world who does not will your good. Okay, your enemy is the person in your world who works against your good. A person who steals the joy in your life, disrupts the peace of your life, who, who hurts you. Um, and that, this kind of love is so countercultural uh, 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 to, to the love of the world. Jesus, think about this, friends. Jesus loved those nailing him to the cross. Now, if love was something that he did, he could have stopped loving at any point. But this love is not something he does. Love is something he is. He is a person of love. So he could not, not love those willing his own destruction. In that moment, he kept forgiving them and he kept loving them for their good. Friends, this is the gospel. We were enemies of God living in rebellion to God and he loved us for our good. He willed our good regardless of the cost to himself. So again, the question is, who is God calling you to love? Who opposes your faith, who minimizes your, your walk with Jesus, who steals your joy, who hurts you with intention. Jesus said to pray for those who persecute you and use you and, and, and hurt you. I'm not saying this is easy. I'm just saying it's possible. When you live in the love of God, a person who cannot not love you, his love is continuing to be perfected in your life and enabling you to love in the way that Jesus loved. Jesus is a person of love who loved us based on who he is, not on who we are. If you are a follower of Jesus, that is who you are, and that is what Jesus is calling you to, wants you to do, to, to have that love perfected in you. So let me give you three reasons why you should do this. Number one, just the very essence of God, your Father. You have a parent in heaven who wants the very best for you. God is love. So two things about this. First, every human being has the capacity for love. You don't have to be a follower of Jesus to love. We will not love correctly, and we will not love perfectly without the love of Jesus. But all of us are created in the image of God, and if God is love, then we all of us have the capacity to reflect that character. All of us have, we can, we can all love, and we can love anybody. We can love anyone. The problem is we live in a world that tries to define God by the way that we understand love. We project our understanding of love onto God. But here, you have to understand this, friend. We don't understand God by understanding love. We understand love by understanding God. The only way that we're going to will the best for another person, at the, at, regardless of cost to us, is not to try to fit God in our love box, but, try, but to put ourselves in the love box of God. That's why John says in this passage that those who love are born of God. We have the very DNA of God, the Holy Spirit conforming us into a person who, who doesn't just do love, but become people of love. We, we love because God is our Father. Uh, secondly, we love because Jesus demonstrated that love. To love is to will the good of another. Uh, he says in this passage, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation. Propitiation. Say that with me. Propitiation. Say it again. Propitiation. When was the last time you used that word in a sentence? Have you ever used that word in a sentence? 
the propitiation for our sins. To love is the will, the good of... The word propitiation is simply the act of Jesus satisfying the justice of God on our behalf. We owed a debt we could not pay. Jesus paid a debt he did not owe. It says it this way in Ephesians 2, because of his great love, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace, the propitiation of Jesus, we have, you have been saved. Here's the thing. God has a problem. God has a, and, and love always causes problems, right? Uh, to love well, it's, it's, it's hard to love perfectly when you're loving imperfect people. And so God has this problem. He's both holy and love. He's both holy and love. If God were just love, then sin wouldn't be a problem. We would just do whatever we wanted and we would create hell on earth, which is kind of what we've done, right? Uh, but if God was just holy, sin wouldn't be a problem. He would just send us to hell. But he loves you and he's holy. So how can he deal righteously with your sin and still treat you lovingly? as a child. And friends, the cross is the only answer to that dilemma. Jesus took on uh, the wrath of God, the payment of God, the propitiation to satisfy the justice of God so that you could receive the gift of God. God is love. God has loved you well. And those who have been loved well, love well. Which brings us to the third point, friends. Love is the testimony, the witness. It is the evidence that we have, we have become followers of Jesus and the love of God is being perfected in us. Again, who is God calling you to love well, to will the best for them regardless of the cost to yourself? The evidence that we understand this is that we, we love people in, regardless of condition, without expectation, without wanting anything in return, his love is being perfected in us, and we are, be, we are becoming people of love. Now, I won't ask you to show uh, your hands on this. You, how many of you are perfect at love? None of us are perfect at love. Uh, how this is even possible, I don't even know why John uh, writes this, uh, that, we can be, that love can be perfected in us. But here's the deal, friends. Your love for the world, willing what's best for the world around you, your brothers, your neighbors, your enemies, the only way you will move toward perfection is love, is to allow the perfect love of God to be made perfect in you. Here's what I'm saying. And I've said this many times before because I think this is a general universal condition for, for Jesus believers. We believe in our head that God loves us. We're not quite sure he likes us. We know God accepts us, but we're not, we're not quite sure he's pleased with us. Friends, that could not possibly be the case. It could not possibly be the case. The cross proves to us that Jesus, God looks to us through the, the eyes, the blood of Jesus, and accepts us as a son and a daughter. He delights in us. He takes joy in us. He loves us. He wills the best for us. Parents, again, last you know how powerful your words are, the words that you speak over your children. You know that the identity, uh, the stability, the self-worth, of your children, how they live up to or they live down to the words spoken over them, the acceptance demonstrated to them, the identity they embrace is shaped around what the most important person in their lives thinks of them. 
And friends, the most important person in your life is Jesus Christ. And you know what he thinks of you? Well, you just need to look at the cross. You are loved. And you are loved well. And so don't let the conditions of other people, don't let the condition of your home, let the power of that love transform your willingness to love. I know it sounds oversimplified. It's even cliche-ish. I mean, you know, preaching on love is like preaching on Easter and Christmas. How do you say it differently in a way that it connects to people? Friends, God, God is love. And he loves you. And he is for you. And he wants life for you. And the only, the best life, the abundant life that you can receive is a life of love. Now, I haven't said anything to you this morning that you haven't heard a thousand times before. Possibly our biggest problem is not just the command to love, but just, just living in the love God already has for us. Do you really believe that God loves you? Do you believe that he accepts you and delights in you and wants the very best for you? To the degree that you embrace that, is the degree that you are able and willing to become a person of love and to have his love perfected in you. Ushers, we're ready for communion. I can't think of... I, all I want us to do in this time of communion, I've asked you this question. Who is God calling you to love better? Who is God calling you to love well? And I hope that God has placed a name on your heart but along with that name is your failure to have loved them well. That's why you have that name. And so as we celebrate the love of God in Christ on the cross, as we celebrate his perfect love, maybe we just need to sit in that failure to love and let the love of Jesus heal that failure and give us a new vision for what matters most. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so grateful. We are overwhelmed. We are so undeserving. But you love us. And let us, Father, let us not allow the lies of Satan and the failures of our life to keep us from experiencing and embracing the love you have for us. Because, Father, that love is the only love that will enable us to love one another. So remind us in this time of communion as we celebrate your love. We sit in our failure, but we also sit in the healing love of your son, Jesus. Speak to us in these moments as we seek to worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.